the book of Numbers, please, and chapter 16. The book of Numbers and chapter 16. going to read the last part of this uh, passage of scripture for the sake of time, but I'll refer back to the start of it as we get the message underway, the Lord willing. So if we read, please, uh, from verse 44. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly unto the congregation, and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded, and ran into the midst of the congregation, and behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700, beside them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the plague was stayed. Amen. Let's have a further word of prayer, shall we? Dear Father, as we come to your word, we are asking you to open it up to us. We need your interpretation of it. We're praying, Lord, this morning that by your spirit you would open your word to your people. Lord, would you bless them with bread from heaven. We pray that you would deliver them from anything out from myself and that as a people of God, we would be able to draw near to you, sit at your feet and hear what you are speaking. We want to discern what the Spirit is saying to the church. We want to know what is on your heart in these days, Lord. And we pray that we would not presume upon anything, but bring ourselves to your feet, lay our burdens at your feet, and learn to be still and know that you are God and to hear your voice. Lord, open our ears. May we be those, Lord, that do have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Please, Lord, would you give us that tuning, that, that clarity of hearing. Lord, so often we're muffled in our hearing. We don't hear as we ought. We pray that you would, as it were, Grant us that clarity, Lord, in our seeing, in our hearing, in our speaking, and in our receiving, in our understanding. Lord, would you be sovereign over this time, we pray. We look to you for revelation. We look to you for understanding. Please, would you grant it, Lord, and we will give you all the praise and the glory. May the word spoken and heard be mixed with faith. And may we discern your voice, Lord. We look to you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I've just read to you the last part of this chapter um, that is a very serious one in the book of Numbers, and specifically about how God sends a plague on the people of Israel. But this has a backdrop to it. It's not an isolated matter. And so to understand what's really going on, we have to go back to verse 1 of chapter 16. So if you look back there with me, we're going to look at what happened initially concerning Israel and the people of God coming into controversy with God. Um, And there's so much I feel we can learn through what happens in this particular episode of Israel's history. Do remember, friends, that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for us for teaching, for learning, for discerning the things of God, because it's all God's Word. It's not the New Testament is God's Word, and the Old Testament is Israel's history. The truth of the matter is the Scriptures are all God-breathed, from the very first verse of Genesis to the very last verse of the book of Revelation. Therefore, we need to take note of everything if we're going to understand the whole counsel of God. And so I just uh, uh, exhort you over that. Now, let's have a look at this verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Korah, the son of Issachar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abrim, the son of Eliab, and Un, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. What a statement that is, isn't it? And I just want to stop there for a few moments. Because there's a lot for us to take in within these few verses that I've just read. So Korah gets together with a couple of other men, and he specifically, you know, it says in verse 6 of this chapter, this do, take your censors, Korah, and all his company. So Moses really is holding Korah mostly responsible for this uprising. So Korah gets a number of people together, and a select number, um, those that are well-known and renowned amongst the people of Israel, leaders, those that have got a good name, And he stirs them up to come to Moses and to have a controversy with Moses, saying, look, you take too much upon yourself. You are leading this people yourself. But listen, we're people of God as well, you know. This kind of attitude. And, you know, it's something for us to beware of. The name Korah is very interesting in the Hebrew. It means ice. Or it means icy. You know what ice is, don't you? I presume you know what ice is anyway. I'm no scientist, but even I know what ice is. It's water that has become hard. And this is what has happened with Korah. 
It speaks of the fact that this man has a hard heart. There's something of hardness here. And what is the revelation of this hardness within this particular context? Questioning the leadership. It's one of the most common signs of rebellion. We all do it, don't we? When somebody's in leadership, we naturally think they're up there to put them down. Do you know what I mean? Um, And often, a sign of a hard heart is that we begin to rebel in our hearts against the leadership that the Lord has put in place. Now, that last bit is absolutely essential. And we're not talking about leadership per se. For example, you might be in a church, or you might have been in a church in the past, I, I hope to the Lord you're not in one now, where you were under a sort of heavy shepherding and people were forcing you to give and forcing you to do this, that, and the other and uh, putting potential curses over you unless you obey the leadership, that kind of thing. Well, that's not true leadership. But Moses was a man who was raised up by God. And the danger is, if we rebel against godly leadership, what we're really doing in our hearts is rebelling against God. And this sort of upstart, you know, well, I'm not happy... These people are the people of God as well, you know. It's kind of attitude. Do you know a similar thing happened to poor Moses a little bit earlier in the book of Numbers in chapter 12? Do you remember when it wasn't, um, it wasn't Korah this time? It was somebody quite close to him. It's his own family. Well, you had Miriam doing this. And you had Aaron doing this. In chapter 12, we read from verse 1, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? It's the same spirit, isn't it? Can you see the same spirit in Miriam and in Aaron as in Korah and his little company? It's the same... So this Moses, we've been under him for a while, but listen, some, some of us others are pretty good as well, you know. We're pretty hot. We may not be Moses, but why should he have the center of attention all the time anyway? And why perhaps he doesn't listen to us as he ought? This putting holes in things, you know. Of course, if you're looking for leadership that's perfect in a church you'll end up becoming a monk and living by yourself because no leader on the earth is perfect. Okay, And there are times when leaders get things wrong. Even Moses got things wrong. But it seems to me that God holds people responsible to how they treated Moses even though Moses wasn't perfect himself. Now this is interesting, isn't it? What happens with Miriam? And Aaron, Aaron, well, you know the story I trust. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Has he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Wow. Did you get that statement? The Lord heard it. I wonder if we held those words before our eyes during our days, 
how much more sifted our conversations would be. The person that you may be speaking of may not have heard it. I don't even know what Moses' hearing was like. I only know they didn't have hearing aids in those days. I don't know, but you know, I think in this particular context, Moses certainly did hear it, but sometimes you might get away with it, and whoever, whatever anointed servant of God that you might be speaking of may not have heard it, but that's not the issue whether they heard it or not. The issue is, has the Lord heard it? Do you know, dear friends, our tongues can be so loose All of us. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm really not. All of us can be loose with our tongues, can't we? But wouldn't we be more careful with our language if we lived as though we were in the presence of God all the time? We sung earlier, we choose the fear of the Lord. Oh, dear friends, I hope that we weren't just singing that. Because the Lord heard that. The Lord heard you say, we choose the fear of the Lord. The Lord heard me say, I choose the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Essentially to hate iniquity. To turn from sin and to love righteousness. That's all involved with the fear of the Lord. None of us are perfect. All of us find or we're all found out. If you can tame the tongue, you're perfect, right? <laughs> we've all fallen short. Everyone in this room, I'm sure all of us, I could. If I asked you to raise your hands, have you ever failed in this area? You'd probably say, count me in. And I certainly would. But if we're going to learn the fear of the Lord and choose the fear of the Lord, let's ask the Lord to help us to be careful how we speak. Do you know, Miriam here, it's so interesting what happens to her. But before we get down to to what happens to her, look at verse 3. Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And then it says, and the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses. Isn't it interesting? After Moses is criticized in this loose and godless fashion, We don't hear Moses defending himself one iota. He's silent. That's meekness. If you're there to defend your corner and uphold your reputation, then meekness hasn't been worked into the life. I noticed when Jesus was on the earth, he wasn't out to defend himself. You see, if you've got true authority with God, you don't need to defend yourself. The Lord will do the defending. The Lord will do the vindicating. And actually, if you try to vindicate yourself, you'll just wear yourself out silly. It's an exhausting uh, experience trying to vindicate yourself. Especially if you know you've got sin in your heart. I mean, you're constantly trying to patch yourself up and... It's not the way of the Lord. It's not the way of the Lord's servant. Miriam, her name, speaks of rebellion. 
It, it literally means their rebellion or rebellion. Coming against the authority that God has set in place is a sign of hardness of heart and rebellion. Oh, dear friends, just allow the Lord to apply this. In the end, Miriam becomes leprous. And she has to be outside the camp for a certain number of days. What a solemn warning this is. Thank God that Moses pleaded on her behalf. Thank God we have a greater than Moses pleading on our behalf. And the Lord Jesus intercedes for us in our folly. He prays for us. And thank God the Lord cleanses us from all our sin. We don't have to be outside the camp for seven days. We can be cleansed in the twinkling of an eye by the power of the blood of Jesus. Such is the power of the blood. Like that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Lord restored Miriam. But I find it interesting that there was, again, this matter of coming against God-ordained authority. Coming back to chapter 16 for a moment, if you come back there, looking on in verse 2, I suggest to you the other names that are mentioned in this list, Dathan and Abraham and Un, also their names are significant, but we'll leave that for now. Just basically stick to Korah. Now notice verse 2. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. Well, I find it interesting. Basically, they come up against Moses. They say you take too much on yourself and you're overdoing things. Give us a go. <laughs> now, it's very interesting that in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 13, Moses experienced something of this kind of agitation against him when he was younger. Do you remember he went out from Egypt to see how his brethren were doing under the slavery of Egypt, and he went out to see what was going on. And when he was there, he saw... Um, one Egyptian killing a Hebrew and he interjected in that. And then he saw two Hebrews fighting each other. Do you remember that? And he says to them, why are you striking your own brother? And the answer to the question was basically, who made you a judge over us? That was the Israelites' response. And Moses, of course wasn't at that time a judge over the people of Israel, but he was destined to become it. And yet, who made you ruler over us? Who made you judge over us? And then he says to him, you remember, what about the person that you killed the other day? Just in my quilloquial language, you understand. And then Moses flees into the wilderness, and the Lord has him there for 40 years to train Moses to break him to bring him to a point where he could one day become the leader of the people of Israel. 
But isn't it interesting, this constant agitation. We find it again um, in the next, sorry, in the second part of that verse. Let's read that second part, verse 3. You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourself above the congregation of the Lord. What a statement. And notice what it says in verse 4. And when Moses heard it, he had a go at him. Doesn't say that, does it? When Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. That's the answer. He fell upon his face. Notice in Numbers 12, he did not respond to Miriam out from himself. And in Numbers chapter 16, we have the same thing. He falls on his face. And then it says, And he spoke unto Korah, and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him who he has chosen will he cause to come near unto him. A little interjection here. I think this is a marvelous phrase. Don't you? Has the Lord called you? Has the Lord chosen you to be amongst his priests, to be amongst those who minister to him? Then if he's called you, he will bring you. He will draw you near unto himself. This is the nature of the Lord. And remember what it says in Psalm 65, how blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach your throne, that he may dwell in your courts. With the Lord's calling and his choosing, comes his drawing, and the Lord wants to draw you into a deeper closeness with himself, doesn't he? Part of the reason he's ever placed his um, love upon you, that he ever called you, that he ever said to you to leave what you were doing and follow me, was to bring you, not to religion, but unto himself. That's so important. If you lose the reality of your relationship with the Lord and it becomes something that is purely academic, you will find ultimately it will become dry. And the very reason for the Lord's calling you to bring you into closeness and communion with the Lord will be lost on you. The Lord wants your fellowship. He wants your closeness. He wants your nearness. He wants you to learn like Mary to sit at his feet and to receive his word. Too many of us are too busy to actually, and we need to put things aside and say, I'm going to set myself to be near the Lord. And you'll be so much more of a blessing to everybody else if you're near the Lord. If you receive from him, if you draw from him, what comes in will ultimately come out. And thank God, if you allow the word of God to get in and it becomes a part of you, something of that will come forth from you. And you won't be filled with your own ideas. You'll be filled with the word of God. And that's what the Lord wants for all of us, isn't it? Well, let's look a bit more at this passage. What does it say? This do, verse 6, take your censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord does choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. 
Oh, Moses reverses the challenge. The lever, these people were saying, Moses, you take too much upon yourself. You know, you're thinking too much for yourself or your position. And Moses says, no, you're taking too much upon yourself. And he challenges them, but not after he's been on his face, not until after he's been on his face before the Lord. Oh, what a challenge this is. How easily we can point the finger. But let's be careful lest we're pointing the finger against what the Lord has put into place. It was, um, Stella was praying earlier about this matter of hardness of heart. And it was just in my notes that this rebellion, this kind of coming against, argumentative, you know, um, resentful at what the Lord has put into place, it's a sign of rebellion, of hardness of heart. As I mentioned before, Korah's name means ice, something that's come hard. Okay. Well, let's move on. Let's read a little more. Verse 8. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he has brought you near to him, and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. And seek ye the priesthood also? Do you see the point? Here he's saying, look, God has blessed you immensely. God has given you privilege. God has enabled you to come near to him. God has chosen you for service. And you're trying to take something more upon yourself than what God has given you. Oh, this is one of the big downfalls for us. So often when we come to the Lord and the Lord begins to use us, we can be little in our own eyes, just like Saul was. But after a period of time, pride can get in. And we can start being a bit itchy feet over how much we've got with the Lord. And so we say, well, actually, I think I should, I, I'm, I'm a bit better than this remit that the Lord has given me for my service. I think I'll expand it a little. And so we go beyond the sphere of what God has caused us to dwell in. This has happened time after time after time after time. It's a train of problems within the church. That's why you get good men suddenly going off. You get this pride coming in. You get this sense that people are looking at you, that somehow you've reached a position. And so, in a sense, people uh, become very very in awe of you, you know, of what you do and who you are, and you begin to become something, and so therefore the pride gets in, and we begin to just think we're a little bit higher than we really are. I think Saul is a tremendous example for us in the Word of God. He began as a humble man. He began as somebody who sat amongst the baggage, not wanting to come up the front. But by the end of his days, he was seeking a witch for guidance. We need to be careful, all of us, that we don't try to go beyond the remit that God set for all of our authorities. Every believer has a measure of authority with the Lord. But that varies 
a babe in Christ shouldn't have the authority that somebody who's been walking with the Lord for 10 years has. Do you understand what I mean? And how many casualties there's been in the church when people have overstretched themselves. This has happened. I've shuddered when I heard, I was at a conference three years ago. And bless him, I saw this young man up the front. And he was a strong man physically. And he was saying things like this. Quite young in the Lord. He said, I don't deal with demons. The Lord's put me in place to deal with principalities and powers. That man, but by the mercy of the Lord, if he continues on this path, is in danger of getting uncovered. He's young in the Lord, inexperienced. Pride was there. Be careful. We can think that we're actually stronger than we are. It's only by the grace of God you're alive at the moment. You're breathing because God commands you to breathe. But God could take your breath away in a moment. And it's happened. And it's happened in this room. That somebody's breath was taken from them and they died on the spot in this place. A number of years ago. It can happen. Let's not think we're something lest we find ourselves pride coming up, arrogance, self-assured. Self-confidence and bravado is not spirituality. (laughs) It's hot air. (laughs) What we need is the authority of God. And when you walk with the Lord, that authority, if you humble yourself, that authority will grow. But make sure... Stay within the limits of God's progress with you. Well, didn't look like these sons of Korah had the right idea, did they? Or Korah, rather, and these people with him. Verse 10, and he has brought thee near to him. I read that. Verse 11, for which cause both you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? I quite like that statement. Verse 12, and Moses sent to call Datham and Abiram, the son of Eliab, which said, we will not come up. Do you hear that? Well, we're not coming up. We're going to stay where we are, thank you. This rebellion, isn't it? Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land of, well, not out of the land, out of the, I was going to say out of the land of Israel, that's not what I meant, out of the land that floweth with milk and honey, to kill us in the wilderness, except thou makest thyself altogether a prince over us. The rebellion's coming out more and more and more. They're just saying, you've left us in the wilderness to die. You've brought us out. Now look where we are, murmuring, bickering. All goes on, doesn't it? 
And then we read this. Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that flows with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. You haven't given us the good that we're after. That's what they're actually saying to Moses. You were meant to bring us out to do us good. And here we are this day in the wilderness. You're taking too much on yourself, Moses. We're bored of just having to camp in this wilderness. And we're sorry, but we think you're taking too much upon yourself. Um, we're not going to go your way. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Verse 15. And Moses was very angry, wouldn't you be? And said unto the Lord, Respect not their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. You know, Moses is in, in, in a sense is saying, Well, what have I done to them that they're treating me like this? It's a bit like David when he comes up to his own brothers and he says, Well, who's this Philistine think he is? You know, out in the, you know, and, and, and saying all these kind of things. And then David's brothers just say, Just get back to the field. It's basically silly little boy. And David says to them, what have I done now? I was only asking. It's funny, isn't it? You always find that the anointing of God triggers something. <laughs> Some response. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, you and they, Aaron, tomorrow, and take every man his censer and put it incense in them and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer 250 censers thou also and Aaron each of you his censer and they took every man his censer and put fire in them and laid incense thereon and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron and Korah gathered all the congregation uh, against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation and the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Wow. Absolutely. I couldn't have put it better, folks. God meant business. He never gives idle threats. But he saw this rebellion coming up. This, well, well I'm not satisfied with Moses' attitude. Where are, the, where are the nice food, you know? Where's all the lovely things we could get, be getting into? All this kind of thing. And the Lord says, right, Moses, out the way. They're finished. And Moses, can you believe it? He gets on his face and begins to plead with God on their behalf. Amazing. Verse 22, and they fell upon their faces and said, O oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and wilt thou be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abraham. We're going to come to that in a moment. But what you see within this passage is something of the meekness and the humility and the brokenness in the man of God called Moses. A man who prays for people who cause him so much bother. One minute they're wanting him to take them out of Egypt. When he takes them out, then they're annoyed he's taken them out. 
And he has to put up with this all through the wilderness time, this constant agitation. And here he is. He doesn't say to the Lord, well, absolutely, I'll get out the way. Just destroy the lot of them. Do you know what I mean? Now, if you and I were in Moses' place, be honest, be honest. You've had a difficult journey. You're not paid for this. You've brought the Israelites out of Egypt and it's cost you nothing but sand. And there's not much to drink. There's not much food. There's difficulty. There's hardship. You're doing the best you can. You've got the biggest congregation in the whole world. There's no offering box. There's nothing in the, nothing to please the pastor at all. And the Lord says, I can get rid of these for you. If I was Moses... I probably would have tried to sound quite holy and I would have said, yes, that's the right decision. Please get rid of them. What a pain. <laughs> Nothing qualifies you for this kind of ministry, friends. Intercession, you'll never become an intercessor by going to Bible college. <laughs> never. Never, not in a million years, can you have a degree in this. This requires 40 years in the wilderness. This requires God getting hold of you and breaking you to such an extent that he can trust you with these kind of words. What trust the Lord had in Moses No wonder the Lord called him the meekest man in all the earth. Do you feel like praying for people when they slight you, when they say things against you? Do you feel like taking up the Sermon on the Mount, which says pray for those who spitefully disuse you? I don't. I'm just being honest with you. I don't feel like it very much. But what we show is to what degree we are qualified to be leaders in the service of God. That we don't respond like for like. Moses doesn't say, well, Lord, I'm the leader here, and they've totally rebelled against me. You put me in place. Let's get rid of them. Let's start afresh. Moses is more concerned about the honor of the Lord's name But let's take it up a level. What about the Lord Jesus? How many of you and I have bickered against him? The way he's taken us in our lives. Why have you brought us this way, Lord? Why have I got this problem in my life? Why have I got that problem in my life? You're meant to be taking me to heaven. Why is this person an issue in my life? Why have you made my job so difficult? Why haven't I got this? Why haven't I got that? And the Lord Jesus prays for you. Isn't it amazing? Now, if anybody deserves to be riled, it's the Lord Jesus. He was on the earth, and he's the only one you couldn't actually point the finger at as of having done anything wrong. With Moses, he did do things wrong. But you can't say that about Jesus. Jesus. 
And yet when people on the earth, they're all going at him. In the end, everybody forsakes him. Even his closest disciple. Even Peter who said, I'd never leave you. If, it, if I have to go to the cross, I'll do it. None of them are there when it comes to Calvary. The cross finds us all out. Finds us out. It shows us that none of us can do it of ourselves. Jesus was on the cross interceding for people who hated him. Think of what he did. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know the problem with our society, dear friends, if you can forgive me for saying this, we're so selfish. We're self-centered. We're only thinking about us. It's all about me. What I get, what I don't get, when I get it, why I haven't got it. That's us. Rebellious people. And the Lord intercedes. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amazing. Can't we just give thanks for once instead of moaning that Jesus is praying for me in heaven today, even if everything collapses around me? I think we've got a lot to learn through this man, Moses, don't you? I know I have. Well, what does it go on to say? We'll be coming towards an end soon. What happens? And Moses, verse 25, rose up and went unto Dathan and Abram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. Dear friends, there's a time where you have to get out from associating with men that are rebelling against God. There's a time to run. There's a time when you have to try to persuade, but there comes a time where we have to leave that and run, lest we be found in the house of those who've rebelled against God. There's a separation going on here. And sometimes there needs to be a separating from friends that are rebelling against God. Sometimes there does. There needs to be a separating from what is not of God. If the Lord says, I'm judging this, then you, you don't want to be a part of that, do you? Be a part, be on the Lord's side. Be on the Lord's side. There's coming a day when so many of our hearts are going to be found out. Do you know, I even find it, if you forgive me for the slight digression, but I find this interesting. Do you remember Jonathan in the Word of God? Jonathan was David's closest friend. He even said of Jonathan... That Jonathan, his love for him meant more to him than even the love of a woman. Such was the companionship of Jonathan. Jonathan helped David. Jonathan stood with David. Jonathan loved David. But Jonathan died with Saul. 
What would have happened if Jonathan had only separated from his father's house? Who knows? I think he could have been spared and used in that generation of mighty men that God raised up. Friends, you can have a love for the things of God but still be in the house of Saul. Come out. Don't go over to the house of Saul. Yes, you love the Lord. Yes, you want the best for the Lord. You want the best for your King David. But there comes a time when you have to come out from the house of Saul and not only love David, but be with David. It may cost you immensely, but it'll cost us immensely if we don't. Let's be separate. Well, now let's get it back to this passage. So, verse 27, so they, get, so they got up from the tablet of Korah, Dathan and Ebron on every side, and Dathan and Ebron came out and stood on the door of the tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby shall ye know that the Lord has sent me to do this work, these works, for I have not done them of my own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. What faith! Verse 30. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, then all that appertain unto them, and they go down unto the pit then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And of course you know it came to pass. And um, an end was made of them. And they fell according to the word of the Lord. And I want to now jump you down to verse 44 where we started. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, Get you up from among the congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. Why was this? Well, if you look back a little bit to verse 40, uh, 40, it says to be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses." But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Don't you find this astonishing, friends? What does it take to turn the hearts? I find this absolutely incredible that the people of God can see such judgment from God and then find themselves on the wrong side of the fence, arguing with Moses again. Amazing. But this will play itself out. Even in the last days, friends, we're going to see the exposing of men's hearts as judgments increase. Notice what they say against Aaron. Ye have killed the people of the Lord. They're siding with the ones that God has given over to judgment. They're showing that they're not really on the Lord's side. They're on the side of those who rebelled. And so the Lord, through judgment, exposes more rebellion. 
Do you see it, friends? Judgment comes in to expose men's hearts. Do you remember what it says in the book of Isaiah? It says this, When God's judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants learn righteousness. Well, they should do. It's unto bringing people to God, but it also brings the, what's really underneath in people's hearts to the surface. You've killed the people of the Lord. Well, isn't Moses a man of God? Hasn't the Lord stood with him? Hasn't he prophesied about the judgment coming in the most unusual of ways of the earth opening up and bringing them in? Haven't they seen the judgment of God? Haven't they been aware that God's doing something? All before their eyes, God has spoken, and then they come back to Moses and they still rebel against him. What's the Lord doing? He's showing our hearts. Showing what we're like. You may and I may say, well, this was the Israelites. They do things like this, but I'm not like that. That attitude exposes that we're of the same heart. And you see God with somebody. And you say, yes, God's with them, but really they're at fault. God is angry with them. Do you know what I mean? This kind of... What is in your heart towards what God is doing? Do you know what God is doing? Do you know what side God is on? Can you discern what is the work of the Lord and what isn't the work of the Lord? So many things come into play in these matters. Okay, let's go on. And verse 42, And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation and behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared and Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. The Lord has come. He's seen this rebellion and he's going to deal with it. Verse 45, get you up from among the congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. Do you see this attitude? Dear friends, are you in leadership? I want to ask if you've got any kind of leadership, any kind of ministry, I suggest to you the quality of it will be determined by how you respond in situations. Are you somebody who just vents their own voice or are you somebody who gets on their face before God? How quick we are to speak, how slow we are to listen, how slow we are to get before God. Oh, friends, you can have all the right doctrine but mess this up. (laughs) No wonder Paul says to Timothy, listen to this, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. He doesn't say take heed to the doctrine and to yourself. He says take heed to yourself and the doctrine. Why is it that way round? Because if your heart's not right, It doesn't matter how right your doctrine is, eventually something will go wrong. Something will come out. Oh, what a challenge this is to us. I find Moses one of the most challenging men on all the earth, in the word of God. Anyway, let's come to conclusion. They fell on their face. Verse 46. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. We haven't got enough time to go into what atonement means. But it has a lot in it. If you want to know what atonement is, read through the book of Leviticus. It's 
everywhere. Do you want to know about atonement? Look at the book of Leviticus. People say, use it as saying, it means at one meant. That's true, but that doesn't do the word, the service that it means. Really has a lot more to do with, um, well, expiation, and it has a lot to do with the blood of an animal, but it's essentially the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's by his blood that we have an atonement. But we won't go into that right now. But notice, he's talking about dealing with God's wrath, which is what atonement also has to do with. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord, the plague is begun. Whenever you see plagues in scripture, pestilences, things like this, Oh, you all lift up your head when I say that word. Eh? Now you've become interested in the sermon. Right. Right. The word coronavirus isn't in the word of God. When you look at pestilences, often it's things that the Lord has given the people over to in judgment. Now, when you look at Matthew 24 and you look at the end times, you'll find that this is one of the signs, this is one of the evidences that we are really in the last days. You haven't just got with the coronavirus something that's come to one nation. It's a global issue. It's a pandemic. And we need to realize that the Lord allows these things to happen and we need to realize that the enemy will do all he can to use them unto his end as well. But it's interesting. There's been various plagues that have come into the house of God. Things that have not been of God that have brought spiritual destruction to the people of God. Well, there's a plague that the Lord allowed amongst his people. Verse 47 Behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put on incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Hallelujah for that. Now, this incense, what does it speak of? You'll find if you look carefully in the word of God, the incense, particularly if you look in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, it speaks of intercessory prayer. What is this going in amongst the people of God? What is this incense raised up? What is this standing between the dead and the living if it is an intercession? That's what intercession is. It's standing in the gap. It's not just praying. It is, in a sense, standing in the way of the Lord's judgment on behalf of those with whom he's angry in order that there may be a removing of God's hand or a staying of God's hand. That's very often what's involved with intercession. Somebody said it's like stepping into another person's shoes on their behalf. Intercession isn't me praying for them. Intercession is me becoming as one of them. 
That's intercession. When you're so grieved in your heart, think of people like Reese Howes, who stood in the gap for people in such a way that with one particular person, he was so in a place of intercession that he became almost like this person without entering into their sin. That's intercession. Jesus on the cross is the height of intercession. What happens? And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700, beside them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. How? By incense. The prayer, the prayer going up. Now let me finish with a verse from 2 Chronicles, please. Two Chronicles chapter 7. Now, if I said to you, before you looked at this verse, I said to you, recite to me 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, that's right, turn from their then I will hear their prayer and heal their land. Something like that, isn't it? Right, now, recite to me verse 13. Nobody can do it. But verse 13 is the context for verse 14. It's interesting, that, isn't it? Now, look at this particular phrase. Let's read from verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. It's interesting, isn't it? And it says in verse 14, If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Brothers and sisters, I see no alternative but the path of costly prayer and intercession. Now, The coronavirus hasn't taken the Lord by surprise. The Lord allowed sovereignly this virus to sweep across the world. That's why I'm not really worried. The Lord is in control. But I'm not there to sit back and say, well, because the Lord's in control, his sovereign whatever will be, will be. You know, that kind of attitude. What is the Lord looking for from his people at a time of his, when his judgments are in the earth? Do you know how to approach the Lord when he's angry? 
Do you know how to handle things spiritually when the Lord is angry? Do you know how to handle things when the Lord is allowing things to come through the land? How are we to handle them? What did Moses do? He almost got on his face. Now, we may say, well, at the end of all this, well, this wasn't a bigger affair of a situation than I thought it was. But it is quite big. Wherever you go, you'll hear people talking about it. The Lord could use this to judge us. But remember, the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. Who's going to pray for them? Who's going to call on God? Who's going to say, Lord, spare thy people? May the Lord find us those that intercede and pray at this time. Let me finish with this. Confusion will be amongst many in the last days. This is just the start. This is just the start. Confusion will increase all kinds of things. How are you going to know light? How are you going to be navigated through the situation yourself? By means of your prayer life. And the word opened to you by the Spirit of God. I want to encourage us all. Let's be those that ask the Lord for mercy. Let's be those that pray in your anger, remember mercy, Lord. Let's be those that call on the Lord, stay your hand, even in your judgment. Oh God, we want to side with you in your judgments. Your judgments are righteous. Let them fulfill all that you intend them to fulfill. But Lord, in the midst of it, please spare your people. Please deliver people from going to a lost eternity. Call on the Lord. I believe if we do that, the Lord will be able to navigate us through. And we will know his peace, no matter how stormy things get. Because the Lord is in absolute sovereign control. But let's call on him. May we be brothers and sisters in this church that have light in their dwelling as days get dark. only we could see. May the Lord open our eyes to the necessity of being like Moses, a man of prayer and interceding for the stain of God's judgments, even amongst our peoples. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, we've had this hour in your word. Oh God, we want to ask you that as we come to days of increasing judgment and turmoil, that you deliver us from having hearts that are hard. Lord, help us not to be like Korah. Oh God, help us. Spare us from being those that just have rebellion in their hearts, hardness in their hearts. Oh God, soften our hearts. And Lord, we pray that we would more like be like Moses. That even in, as he's ridiculed, oh God, he gets before you. And essentially looks to see it, the whole thing from your perspective. 
Lord, would you help us all? We all need your help. We confess our sins to you. Get us right with you, Lord, we pray. Purify our hearts and make us fit for the days we live in. We ask this of you, dear Father. We thank you that the grace is with you and the power in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, anything not of you, you would take from us. And only that which has been of you, you would keep with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, just before we make uh, heading out and all the rest of it, just a quick reminder.